and welcome to the State of Games. <laughs> I'm Dice Hate Me. And I'm Ghoulie23. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Monkey238. And this is episode 18, or as we like to call it, The One, one About, about gaming, gaming After, after Dark. So, yeah, we've got a very special podcast planned today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All about things that go bump in the night. Boom. Spooky things. Weak. Like monkey, sometimes. What? Yeah, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you got those monkey eyes staring back at me. It's a little spooky. Your snoring is spooky. <laughs> what do you think, you're being invaded? Yeah, it's frightening. You know what else is spooky? Whenever you um, make me shut the closet because it's cracked a little bit because you think there could be something in it. You think it's spooky? I think it's spooky. That's why I ask you to shut the curtain. No, I don't think it's spooky. You do. Yeah, I do. I think it's funny. I think it's spooky. I like to have all my doors, not my doors closed, but the closet curtains. We have curtains instead of doors over our closet, and I like to have them closed. Because if they're closed, whatever's in the closet (laughs) could not possibly get out of the the uh, closet curtains. Right. Right. The curtains are magic. Yeah. They magically repel boogery things hiding yeah. in the closet. Okay. Duh. Duh. Okay. okay. That makes nice perfect sense. Okay. Okay, so a little bit later on in the podcast, we're going to get to our Gaming After Dark segment, talking about horror-themed and suspense games. But first... This podcast is sponsored by Eagle and Griffin Games. Check out Zongshi on Kickstarter. What? Check out what? Zongshi. Okay. Is that how your people say it? I don't know. That's how you say it. That's how your people say it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think we talked about that in a previous podcast. Yes, we've mentioned Zongshi. And it is uh, currently fully funded, but of course, the more funding that we get for Zanshi, the more uh, copies that can be produced, and uh, a little bit probably bring some of the street price down some. And speaking of Eagle and Griffin games, check out Dice Hate Me's review of The Road to Canterbury, which he put out at the end of last week. And that game is actually set to release in the next couple of weeks. That was also funded on Kickstarter with great success. Yeah, and, um, over $27,000 raised for The Road to Canterbury. And this is Alf Segrick's game we've talked about in the past. It's not spooky, but it's awesome. It is awesome, but it it is not spooky. That's okay. We highly recommend it, so check it out at theroadtocanterbury.com. There's a video that was done by me there. Uh, Check out dicehateme.com for my full review. And Alf should have an actual tutorial of the game up that he built in Flash, impressively. First time he'd used Flash at all, which I thought he did really well. So that'll be posted on theroadtocanterbury.com as well. And speaking of Kickstarter projects, there is one that's a bit spooky, spooky. or at least uh, Halloweeny. Halloweeny, maybe a little grody, but possibly. Yeah. Um, we've actually mentioned it before. It's "If I'm Going Down" by AJ Porfirio, which is a zombie-themed card game, which is perfect for the spirit of Halloween. Yes. And this game too is already funded, um, but AJ has some stretch goal rewards planned. Mm-hmm. Um, at certain intervals, at the recording of this podcast, he's got eight days left. Yes. Um, so that probably means about five or six by the time this comes out. So, cool. Yeah, check him out. He's got some cool custom dice he's going to be doing for the next stretch reward. So also, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I cannot mention it enough, Empires of the Void by Ryan Lacott. I think you're in love with that game. That game is going to be awesome. How do you know? Because it looks amazing. And if it, it's, it's like, you know, a little bit like Twilight Imperium Light. I mean, it's a epic space wargaming slash colonization slash civilization game. How could it not be awesome? I don't know. I was just wondering why you think it's so awesome. I'm not questioning. Yes, you are. No, I'm not questioning your opinion. I'm just curious, as always. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks, it looks really, really fun. Okay. And uh, he's poured a lot of himself into the project. His art has been fantastic. It's going to be very immersive. And uh, it's already funded as well, uh, but he's also put in some stress rewards. And one of those is if uh, we all reached our next funding goal, everyone gets an extra alien race, and they look neat. So uh, Empires of the Void, check that out on Kickstarter. 
Another Kickstarter mention is Kings of Combat. We actually just received a prototype of the game, which is about gladiatorial combat. Yes, gladiatorial. Um, and the prototype looks amazing. You would have no idea that it was a prototype except for... I thought it was a real game when I opened the box. Yeah, but then what did I notice? I Risk. Oh, yeah, it said risk on the box. <laughs> Wait, so. when you open it up on the bottom of the box and the, the inside bottom on the sides, it said risk. So they built it around a risk game. Yeah, but, but um, we have not played it yet, but they've definitely not spared any expenses in putting this prototype together, and we can't wait to play it. Yep. And uh, also, one last game that we'll mention is War Party. And this was actually demoed at WBC at the same time we were there this year. I got a... Uh, email from the designer, and they need a little bit extra help on Kickstarter. It looks interesting. I, I don't know enough about the game. I need to talk to Larry, who's the designer, a little bit more about it, and hopefully we'll be able to mention that on Dice Hate Me pretty soon. But uh, it's basically a, a fantasy-based tabletop strategy war game. If you like that type of thing, and uh, it's up to, it's, uh, plays two to four players, you should check out War Party on Kickstarter.com. The last Kickstarter project that we'll talk about today on the podcast is actually not a board game. It is a comedy web series starring Doug Jones, and the reason why we are mentioning it today is because a friend of the podcast, Kevin Tostado, is actually the director of this series. He was also the director of the Monopoly documentary, Under the Boardwalk, which um, we discussed in, actually, one of our very first episodes, episode two. He yep. was our first interview on the State of Games. This web series is a brand new venture, and it needs a few thousand more dollars over the next 15 days. So consider taking a look at the project and video on Kickstarter, and Chris will put a link for that project on DiceHateMe.com. Yep, along with this podcast. And the name of that web series is Research. Oh, did I not mention you that? You didn't mention the name of it, but oh. that's okay. You can search for Kevin Tostado. That'll pop up as well. Doug Jones will pop up, and um, research will pop up on kickstarter.com. Again, check out dicehateme.com for links to these and the other Kickstarter projects that we've mentioned. And now... Now what? On to the spooky... Games list. He's somewhat spooky. Somewhat suspenseful. Uh, mostly good. Games list. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have the lights turned completely off here. We've got our little Halloween candles lit. We've been listening to spooky music all night. I've scared Monkey a couple times. Back into my tree. Yeah, back into a tree. <laughs> Tonight, before we go to bed, I'm going to go crack the curtains for the closet. Oh. Yeah. Then I won't be able to sleep. Oh, you'll be fine. So, what we've done is we compiled a list of the games we either own or have played that would be appropriate for uh, any time, really, you're feeling uh, a horror or suspense-filled night where you'd like to have a good board gaming experience for that. Um, it's going to be perfect for Halloween, so... If you guys are looking for a game to play on Halloween, well, you can no, probably do no wrong with following the advice of some of the games on here. We're going to mention some of the games that we own that we're not terribly crazy about as well, but we'll give you the overview of, of the ones that we know and a list of the ones that we're actually looking forward to playing that some people have recommended to us. So, the first on our list that I'm just going to jump right into because it's probably the meatiest bit of all the games in my library that I brought and introduced to Monkey, is the Arkham Horror series from Fantasy Flight Games. Now, Arkham is, in my opinion, one of the best games. The original Arkham Horror is one of the best games that I really have ever played. Designed by Richard Launius, it's a co-op game, horror-based, based around the Lovecraft and Cthulhu mythos, so by H.P. Lovecraft. Fantasy Flight has put everything into the production of this. The The production values are amazing. The art's amazing. The theme, the story that comes out of it's amazing. Now, Monkey's only played it once. Mm-hmm. Last year. Yeah, we had a little party called A Nightmare Before Christmas, and we sat down and just played the base game. We actually faced off against Cthulhu as the Great Old One. And for those of you who don't know the full premise of Arkham Horror, again, I mentioned it is a co-op game has a lot of dice rolling and things in it, but pretty much you're all playing uh, investigators in Arkham, Massachusetts, which is the fictional town developed by H.P. Lovecraft and his works about the mythos and his horror works. 
And you're going around trying to collect clues, and as you go, a story unfolds. There are story cards that you you can uh, uncover at certain locations. Uh, you can get clues and items, um, elder signs, which are meant to ward off evil and the great old ones and uh, some of their, their servitors and the demonic presences, things like that, that pop up in the, in the city. And as you go from place to place, sometimes you'll, you know, a monster will pop up. You'll have to end up fighting monsters. You actually go through portals to other worlds that represent uh, worlds where the, the ancient ones uh, have lived or are coming or trying to break into our dimension uh, to take the world back over again or destroy the world. And you have to do that and seal a certain number of gates, which are the gates of these other worlds, before... Uh, a doom track fills up, which awakens the particular ancient one uh, that is threatening Arkham or the entire world and perhaps universe in some instances at the time. Now, the game that we played, uh, how many people did we have? Six? Yep. Yeah, six people. It plays up to eight. And uh, we had six people. It's not a short game. It's a definitely a game that you have to play as what I like to call an event game. You want to try to get together a group and make a night of it. And we played all the way to the very end, Cthulhu uh, Awakened, and amazingly everyone was able to defeat Cthulhu and drive him back to Dreadrillia. What are you looking at? Your face. <laughs> <laughs> so we were able to all, even though I got devoured, I could not roll well. Dice. I can't roll dice very well to begin with, but that night was horrific for me. I I don't think I succeeded on any of my dice rolls. I was the first one devoured, but the rest of the team was actually able to defeat Cthulhu. It was still a great story. The thing that I love about Arkham Horror is even if you are killed in the game or more than likely devoured by some evil beastie, you can come back in as another investigator, but you, you still get to participate in the story that's built and the atmosphere that you have in the game. Very, very atmospheric, and, and it can be very spooky and very thematic if you're very careful about how you set the tone and the and the theme of the game itself. It, what did you think when we played it? I had a good time. Um, I don't think I was the only newbie. I think Jackie, or if Jackie had played before, I think she had watched before, so she yeah. had seen it. I had no idea. Um it was a new experience for me. It wasn't everything about it. The whole story. I mean, ev- there are a couple of other players who are just like you, completely entrenched in the story and have been since since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it probably meant a lot more to you than it did to me because I was still learning mechanics and such. But, I mean, the fun thing about that game is that because it is cooperative, you don't, you're not left behind. And... Even if there are some complexities, you always have people helping you because a lot of the decisions aren't made as a group. So it was a fun experience. I want to play again. Um, but like you said, it is, it's an event. So there's the challenge of you know getting six to eight people together mm-hmm. to make it a really rich experience. Um, I will say that it's still a fun game to play even with you know two players. I've never played it solo. Um, I don't really feel like I would want to play it solo uh, simply because it is a great social game where you are trying to feed off the energy of, of the other players and add to the story and the richness of it. Uh, a larger group playing Arkham Horror is usually pretty fun because everybody can kind of get into it. But it's not really too bad with two to four players either. Um, but I thought you picked it up really well. I mean, by the end of, like halfway through it, you were really comfortable in everything you were doing. You are yeah. making the right decisions. and. It's not an easy game to get into, um, and also thematically and story-wise, if you do know something about the mythos and have been sort of a, a Lovecraft fan beforehand, it helps a little bit, but you don't really need to. I mean, Yeah, I don't think you guys even told me what the rules were. Yeah, we kind of just jumped right in. And yeah, we didn't playing. go over the rules. <laughs> yeah, we, well, we did a brief overview, but it wasn't like, we didn't go in depth. You just asked what you could do, and we kind of just said, yeah. you know, here's the things you can do. And then when we got to the mechanical parts of it, we just walked you through them, mm-hmm. and it was really easy. Well, now, I mean, back then, you were just beginning to get immersed and kind of even, you didn't even know what a Cthulhu was before. I had no idea. I still don't say the names. <laughs> Come on, Shub you know. Niggeroth. Yeah, yeah, I know that. that one. I know that one. Look at that! Impressive. I think that's the only one I know. Oh, you do pretty good How because about? I always get her. Yeah, for some reason. Well, you either and play I her, to, and I've played her before. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. She likes Shub Niggeroth. I guess. 
Um, well, how about Haster? Do you remember Haster? Nope. How about uh, Nyarlathotep? My toe what? <laughs> My giant toe tap? <laughs> yeah, your giant toe tap. <laughs> well, really quickly, I'm going to give a brief overview. Since uh, Monkey really doesn't know this portion, I'm just going to talk a bit about the expansions for Arkham Horror. If you do not own Arkham Horror, you should really go and buy this game. It is worth having in your library, even if for a part where you want to have a co-op game that is very different and a very rich gaming experience. Yeah, I mean, can I interject? Mm, yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm going to interject. Oh, yeah, well. um, the artwork is really beautiful on it, and I think what does make it a fun experience is the flavor text on the cards, and that's what helps create the story. So I think the group that you choose to play with should be willing to kind of get into that and not and, and be wanting to actually read all the text on the cards because right. that really enriches the experience. Yeah, if you've got people with a short attention span or, or don't really like the storytelling aspects of certain games, they might be a little miserable playing and you might not want to include them. However, if you've got a whole group of those types of people together and you really just want to play a really quick, fast game of Arkham Horror, that would be fun too. But it's more of an investment and you really want to really get into the story. So I own almost all the expansions. There's one big box expansion and one small box expansion I do not own. That is Miskatonic Horror. That is the big box expansion. And Lurker at the Threshold is the newest small box expansion. I do not own either one of those and have not played those, so I can't comment on them. However, I do own three of the small box expansions. And when I mean that, it's like a, Arkham Horror comes in a fairly large square box. And they alternate the expansions for them with a small box, which is you know about the size of a post box, postal box. And uh, there's three of those that I own. Curse of the Dark Pharaoh was the first. After that was the King in Yellow, which is mostly centered around Haster and his herald, the King in Yellow. It's very thematic and a very um, rich storytelling experience. It's, it's one of the most unique of the small boxes. And Black Go to the Woods, which focuses mostly on the heralding of Shub Niggeroth, which we should play since you simply love Shub Niggeroth for yeah, some reason. Yeah, Shub Niggeroth and I are tight. <laughs> <laughs> and then three of the big box expansions. There's the Domage Har, Kingsport Har, and the Shadow Over, Shadow Over Innsmouth expansion. Um, I'm just going to simply say right now that the weakest of the small box expansions is Curse of the Dark Pharaoh. It was the first one. It was sort of a, an investigation or like a, an experiment in how to expand the game a little bit. There are some neat aspects of that small box, but I would say that it's the weakest of the bunch. So out of the next two, the King in Yellow and Black Go to the Woods, my personal favorite is Black Go to the Woods because it. I, I actually do really like the the mythos and the story behind Shub Niggeroth as well and, and the creatures that come out. Um, See, that's why we're tight. Yeah, we're Maybe tight. Maybe she and I are the same. <laughs> We're one and the same. I hope not. I have creatures that come out. <laughs> I'm, the one, I'm, the, I'm the one that's not going to sleep well tonight. <laughs> well, Black Over the Woods is just, it's just a very, yeah, let's, let's not go there. It is, a, to me, in my opinion, if you're going to pick up one small box expansion first to check anything out, Black Go to the Woods is the one to really look into. By the time they came out with that, they had sort of learned the best ways to enhance the experience. And when you get these smaller boxes and the big box ones, there are certain um, you know allies or item cards or actually, more importantly, um, supplements to the uh, location cards, which, in other words, helps to enhance the storyline. When you visit a location, you read the flavor text that Monkey mentioned and that helps the play experience. So Black Go to the Woods for the small box. In my opinion, my favorite of the three big box expansions that I own is Kingsport Horror, which I'm usually at odds with people about, but I like Kingsport Horror because it has its own special flavor. It's like with the big box expansion, it actually adds onto the board. So when you break that out, it, be it becomes sort of a another town near Arkham that your investigators can visit and a new set of circumstances pop up that you have to stop. Kingsport Horror opens up rifts, so there are dimensional rifts, and if too many of those open up, then all hell breaks loose, and the game grinds to a halt, and you have to fight the great old one. I like that as long as you have a large group. If you have a very large group and you have enough people, maybe two people who can go to Kingsport and, and keep the rifts under control, they have their own separate storyline adventure, which becomes sort of a subplot. 
which is a very interesting aspect to play. So my recommendation would be Kingsport Horror for the large box. Now, I'm going to recommend getting them all because I'm an expansion freak, and I'm also an Arkham Horror freak. So, in the same family of games, moving on, within the Arkham Horror universe is... Elder Sign. Yes. Which is actually good for the shorter attention span. Mm-hmm. All of the are they what are they investigations that you complete? I don't I didn't read the rule book so I don't know the terminology used. Oh yeah, you're going on I guess adventures or oh, adventures. Yeah, yeah, there's it also centers around the museum in the center of Arkham and something wicked is trying to break loose through the museum and the artifacts contained within. And this is co-op as well. So, yeah. you, but each player has their own turn and it's all essentially controlled by dice. So I mean that does make it. Fun, although very much up to chance, because mm-hmm. you're rolling dice um, when necessary. You're choosing monsters randomly, um, so you're responsible for trying to kind of complete these adventures, which will give you trophy points, which allow you to, you know, amp up your weapons and all that fancy stuff. <laughs> um, and then sometimes monsters are called out, and you have to add those, and you have to conquer the monsters as well. And that will also give you trophy points. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you are trying to collect elder signs. Mm-hmm. A certain number, depending on the uh, the great old one or ancient one that you're fighting against. Right. So you need to actually complete. You need to actually collect that number of elder signs in order to defeat the monster. And if you don't, by the certain time that that what's that track called? The Doom Track. The Doom Track. When the Doom Track has reached its end, if you have not collected the amount of Elder Signs necessary, then the monster awakens, and then you have to kind of play this next round of mm-hmm. the game, which is actually similar to Arkham Horror. Right. When the monster awakens, then it's another kind of adventure that you have to conquer to try and win the game. Yeah. It's a very fast-moving game. Uh, it's actually kind of sort of the reverse of Arkham Horror, whereas the fewer players you have, the harder the game gets. And actually, it kind of increases, I guess, the overall tension of the game a bit. Because like, it's a great two-player game. Mm-hmm. Monkey and I play it at two-player. It has a lot of very tense moments. And, and we lost to Shub Niggurath the last time that we played. We, I've, I've won quite a few of, of the games that I've played of Elder Sign. But a lot of those have been with more players. And so to keep the, the difficulty level up and the tension there... I recommend it probably for one to four players. I actually enjoy playing this game solo, which I don't really like solitaire games very much. But I really enjoyed Elder Sign playing solo. But, of course, with any game, I'd much rather play with somebody else. Yeah, and it comes in a nice small box. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's easy to transport with you. And there's a lot in there, despite a small box. I mean, and, and again, the production values on it are just amazing. And again, designed by Richard Lonius and Kevin Wilson, the designers of Arkham Horror. And uh, we highly recommend you pick this up. Price-wise, you can't beat for the quality you get out of it. It's a, it's one of the best games we've played all year. Yeah. It's been a hit. It has been a hit. And speaking of another uh, hit, but not with us, or at least not with me, rather, is the Notorious Mansions of Madness. And that We're is not going to get into that again. We are not. We? Anyone you wants... can listen to some other podcasts <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm only going to mention here for completion's sake. But Mansions of Madness, which again is set in the Arkham universe, uh, and again, like Elder Sign, it uses the same characters that are in the base game of Arkham Horror, so they're carried across all these different Arkham universes that Fantasy Flight has put together. Mansions of Madness supposed to be a very in-depth, uh, deep storytelling game, uh, sort of like almost a, a role-playing type of experience. But again, we won't get into it. The, the game, in my opinion, is inherently flawed. Uh, we had very bad gaming experiences when we played it. Me and my group, we, have a very, uh, we actually speak of one particular gaming experience that happened back in, I don't remember if it was March or whenever it came out. Anyway, there is a podcast. There's a State of Games podcast in previous. Look for the one about Mansions of Madness. If you want to listen to me and Monkey and Michael Harrison rant for about an hour about Mansions of Madness. But we include it here for sake of completion if there are some Arkham maniacs out there that just have to have it. So again, we're not getting off Cthulhu yet. There's a lot of Cthulhu stuff in our library. We'll keep going down it. We're going to 
kind of break the, the flow a little bit, but we're talking about Call of Cthulhu Living Card Game. And that is where Monkey was speaking about where she sometimes plays Shub Nigaroth. And you want to... No, I don't think I can explain this You can't explain well. this one? A lot of people no. can't explain Call I enjoyed the game, though. It is... It, I really, really like the Yeah, Call we should play that more. Yes, we should. And Call of Cthulhu Living Card Game, again, it used to be a collectible card game, and a lot of tournaments and things came up with that. But Fantasy Flight restructured a lot of their collectible card game properties into what they call Living Card Game, which means that they release a just a one-pack expansion every month that allows you to get a set amount of cards. You know they're going to be in there, so you don't have to spend like hundreds of dollars buying all these expansion packs hoping to get all the cards. It's a really good business model. It's done really well for them with Game of Thrones. I have a question about that. Sure. I don't know much about the living card game. So in order to, let's say there were up to this point, let's say there are five, you know, expansion packs that have come out. Do you need one through four in order to play five or are no. they all They're all exclusive? In, they're independent of each other. Well, yes and no, actually. They, you could go and just buy one pack and then have more cards you can add in and play with. And you don't have to have all the others. But the way they do it is they have what they call story arcs. So there's like maybe right now, I don't even know how many there are, maybe 20 or more different that have come out. I think even more than that. But over the the arcs of those, they do like five or six packs that are centered around sort of a, a portion of the Lovecraft mythos. So you get characters and and beasts and things that relate to what's happening within that loose storyline. Gotcha. And you don't have to buy all of them to be immersed in that. As a matter of fact, you can just buy whatever one looks interesting to in you, and it still provides you with more cards to add to your game. So that's the living card game model that they've, they've adapted. And I really like that a lot because I used to be into collectible card games, but any of you out there who have played them knows that they, if you're a completionist, you have to buy so many cards to get them all. But the, the main crux of the Call of Cthulhu living card game is that you can make up a deck out of several factions that are set within the Cthulhu mythos. Like you can play Cthulhu and Haster together, and or you can play um, the Agency, which are basically the monster hunters. You Mis- like playing that? Yes. Yeah. Miskatonic University, so they're the ones who have a lot of lore. Um Anyway, you construct these decks and you know kind of play them like you would like a normal collectible card game like Magic, things like that. It has its own set of rules, except that this is more of a, like a story-based, so you kind of go and take on stories. And you set a certain amount of your agents or, or people or whatever to go through a story, and then the other person puts people to block them. It's a very complex sort of cat-and-mouse type of experience. A lot of people are confused by it, but... After you play it a couple times, it, it really works pretty smoothly. You just have to get used to the phases of the stories and how they work and how best to anticipate what your opponent's going to do. Well, do you think the gameplay is confusing? Because I didn't find the gameplay confusing, but at least from some of the feedback, I feel like I've either heard from through you from other people or I've, heard, I've seen other people tweet about is that it's the rules are confusing or it, it, th- it takes a certain something to interpret the rules correctly there i mean with most fantasy flight games unfortunately their rules are a little bit wacky sometimes they're they're not the most well organized of the rules you have to play through a couple times until you really can understand and find what you're looking for most of what i've seen the confusion is comes during the the story part of this where you send your people or monsters or whatever to try to take these story cards and they don't understand or really uh, know how to interpret the sequence of events that happens mm. to the story card. So they get confused by that. It is the most esoteric part of the game. And very different than other collectible card games. I guess I have the wonderful bonus of having you around. That was so sincere. To explain things. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrifically sincere. Are you out for hire? <laughs> <laughs> game consultant. <laughs> Okay, so that's Call of Cthulhu Living Card Game. I recommend it. Monkey likes yeah, it. Yeah, I do like it. Again, if you like Cthulhu and, and Lovecraft, I, I think it's a great... Just buying the base system for it. I have it. Tons of expansions. They have other... They're not. I guess we call them big box expansions that add... Like, for instance, the Order of the Silver Twilight is a whole other group that can be added and played with if you buy the expansion. So, do you recommend it? I do recommend it. Awesome. So another Cthulhu game. 
Um, let's see. I'd say we'd go to unspeakable words. Yeah. And I we've... think that's probably the most. See, the thing with Cthulhu is I've learned over the years that sometimes the theme is just slapped onto a mechanic. And so I'm kind of thinking we should leave that to last because I wouldn't really say that it's a horror game. No. It no. just has Cthulhu on the, yeah. in the title. But, and we're, we're kind of reaching that. That apex. Segment right yeah. now. But um, Unspeakable Words is one of them. Rise of Cthulhu is another. And The Stars Are Right. Yeah, The Stars Are Right, I think, is probably the most well-integrated of the themes of those, of those three, really. And I've, I've barely played that, so I don't think I have much to interject about it. It kind of makes my head hurt. It is a very, com- I mean, not complex, it's just there's a lot of variables you have to think of. The Stars Are Right is by Steve Jackson Games. It, uh... The, the production quality of it's great. I, I love the feel of the game. There's actually a review of it on DiceHateMe.com. You can go and search for The Stars Are Right. And it's a tile game, and you have to flip tiles around and, and reshuffle. It represents the night sky, and you're trying to put together the correct alignment of stars and constellations and planets and moons and things like that to summon basically Cthulhu esque or Cthuloid creatures from your hand, uh, people from, ones from the mythos, and if you can summon those, then you get a certain amount of points. And the, per- certain, the first person who reaches that summoning points wins the game. There's a, a lot to think about during the game, uh, but it is fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a great concept for the game. Again, not immersive like Arkham Horror, but you know, again, getting into that horror realm of Cthulhu, I, I really like it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm. So-so on it. Yeah. But I did only play it that once, and I don't think that's a fair amount of plays to judge a game on, unless it's just horrific. So yeah. it, it definitely takes a certain mindset to be in. Do you know what I mean? It's Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not a social game. It's very brainy in that it's, like, very puzzly. Yes. Um, which I like puzzles, so, I mean, I should give that another chance. Yeah, we should play it again. So then there are, of course, there are other two that she mentioned. Unspeakable Words we've spoken uh, hmm. about on a previous podcast where I put it in as one of my favorite word games. Monkey's not quite as sold on it as I am, but I like it quite a bit. Uh, again, it's where you're trying to spell out words, but depending on the angles that are in the letters, will bring up uh, a certain number, which represents how much sanity it's sapping from you, and you have to roll um, over that number, right? No. I think we're talking... We have this confusion every yeah, we time. Have. It's over. <laughs> over on a 20-sided die. So the more points you get off of the letter, the more likely that you're going to lose some sanity, which, in other words, you have to trade in these little Cthulhu tokens. So it's a fun little card-based word game that I like quite a bit. My mom had a lot of fun with. Jackie but, likes it a lot. Yeah. So, and, well, so does Sean. Sean really, they just bought it and played it recently, and Sean is not really a big fan of Scrabble and word games like that. But he said he really liked it because it actually added in what he thought was missing from Scrabble, and I guess <laughs> guess it was a 20-sided die. <laughs> well, we're big Scrabble freaks here, so we like word games in general, but I really thought it was, it's just fun, light, easy to pick up, and um, the you know, the theme is a little bit slapped on, but at the same time, it makes sense in the way that it's presented. I think it's a very fun. Uh, it, the illustrations on the card are not going to set any kind of a mood for a spooky night, but no, it, we just had to put it in here. Yeah, because it's it's fun. I think. By the way, speaking of words, I think we should do a podcast about word words. games. Words. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Why don't you write that down? Why don't you write it down? You should write that it's down. Your job. Okay. And last on our Cthulhu list, and, and we're I would on. say definitely least. Yes, is the rise of Cthulhu. I don't know how much it cost, but not much. I don't know. Buy an ice cream cone or something instead, <laughs> because I. It's basically like competitive Sudoku. It's yeah, and I like Sudoku. I mean, and the game's not really that bad. It's just it has nothing to do with Cthulhu. Yeah, so I think you have there's an expectation going into it, though. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't even think we should waste any time talking <laughs> okay. about it. You guys want to know more about Rise of Cthulhu? We've mentioned it before, but you can go and search the web for it. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to move on to another very meaty thematic game that we both love, love, love. What is that? Last Night on Earth. Yes, zombies. I like zom- I like the zombies. Yeah, I like playing the zombies. You do like playing girl the zombies. zombies rule. <laughs> 
Well, Last Night on Earth, if uh, you guys have not played it, I'm sure you probably heard of it, but it is a zombie g- uh, game. It's a very thematic game, a very rich cinematic game. It's uh, basically anyone who's ever seen a, a zombie movie or a survival, horror survival movie will understand the archetypes and the types of things that happen during the game. It's basically a game for two to six players. It's probably best with those full six or at least a large group because you want to have a very raucous um, cinematic experience. And what happens is up to two people can play the zombies and four people are playing the survivors in the small town. They range from, for instance, the town sheriff to the high school jock to the cheerleader, homecoming queen, like the farmer's daughter. All these sort of archetypes that show up in B-movies and zombie movies. And you're trying to run around and do different things. One of my favorite scenarios uh, is get to the truck. And yeah, I, we've played that one. Yeah. And there's also one where you that one and you have to search for keys and gas, get to the truck, and escape before the zombies kill everybody. And one is simply seeking out all the zombie spawning pits, where like the graves and the fresh graves where people are rising from, and... and blast them with gasoline, set them on fire. There's one called Defend the Mansion, where you're holed up in the mansion, you just got to try to hold out until dawn. That one's really pretty cool. It's There are certain things that can happen during the game, like for instance, the zombies get cards, like one is called The Last Night on Earth, which is very funny because if there's ever a male and a female character together in the same room, then the zombies can play the card on them, and they miss their next turn. They can't move or do anything. <laughs> Which means they're you know getting it on because it's the last Doing night. It. <laughs> so it's it's got some humor in it as far as that's concerned too, but it's very tense. Yeah, I I just feel really invested when I play it, oh, yeah. and ultimately it. I mean, there's definitely strategy, you know, where you want to go and such. But again, it's it's up to the the dice to kind of decide if you've won a battle or not. But somehow, every time you roll the dice. There's that tension, like you, you really want it to work out, mm-hmm. and I know ultimately when you play, you always want it to work out. But something about that game, you just—I don't know—invested is the best word I yeah, can. Yeah, and it creates a story. I mean, as you're playing it, you you see the ebb and flow of things. Like when you're trying to run, like the one we replayed where you're looking for the keys and the gas for the truck. I mean, you're marching toward us with the zombies. And we're basically running all over town trying to search as fast as we can in these different spots. And as soon as zombies we're overrun... We're just trying to spawn. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as zombies overrun a building, we're trying to fight them back. And we had a guy stay behind to hold zombies at bay while people escaped. He ended up getting eaten and turned into a zombie. Yeah. I mean, it was awesome. It's just one of those types of games where, Monkey's right, you really feel invested. And it, go, it goes beyond the dice rolling. It's It's... As you're playing, you can imagine this happening. This, the little miniature sculpts that come with it are pretty cool. They, you know, the, there's there's the 3D aspect of that, and the game board it, it's set at night, and it's just really kind of a neat overall cinematic experience. Yeah, I was right when you said that. I was thinking how you kind of feel like you're directing a movie, yeah. and you're doing it with miniatures first, yeah. like on a board. Yeah. That's exactly how you feel. I mean, like you're. You're thinking, okay, where should they go next, you know? And you obviously don't know the outcome of, of the movie yet, but you're just trying to let it flow and, and make it happen. So, yeah, you feel like the director of a movie. That's what I want to say. And at the same time, you feel like you might be in the movie Ooh, yeah. or... Maybe life. you're a zombie director. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there are a few people, and they, there are a few and far between, but there are a few people who have had some bad experiences playing Last Night on Earth. They think that the, the rules system and the mechanics are not quite right. I have never experienced that. Every game I've ever played of it played has been very rich and close, uh, all the way up to the end, whether the zombies or the the heroes are able to win. I think this is one of the best games on this list, and I think that if you do not own it and you are a fan of zombies or you know tense suspense games, horror games, you should definitely pick it up. There are a couple of other games that we'd like to mention, um, but they have we have discussed them in past episodes, so we really don't want to be super redundant. Um, but we will list them here because we think they are important and they do belong on this list. One of them is Shadow Hunters, which we mentioned that we had both had played for the first time when we met up with Stephen Bonacore and, and Steve, Steve Avery. Avery. Mm-hmm. And we had a great time with that, so I don't know what episode that was, but 
I think it's a couple couple episodes yeah, back. Yeah, you can find it, and we talk about that game. Um, there's Nightfall, which I don't particularly like, so if you have words to say about it. Well, I'll just say that you know we're neither one of us are huge fans of deck builders, and for one reason or other, that that just that just, it just doesn't suit our play style. But I will say, of most of the deck builders that I've played, I actually enjoyed Nightfall the best. Well, I won't say the best because we're going to cover one that beats it here in just a few minutes. But I enjoyed it because you actually interact with other people, and it's it's horror based, and the the atmosphere of the game. Is very brutal, and it's based around, of course, vampires and werewolves, um, fall of mankind, and they have human agents that can fight against them and whatnot. The only problem that I ever really had with Nightfall was that the theme and the storyline of it didn't quite mesh with, with the gameplay. But the mechanics and what you do during the game, I thought, are really good. It actually opens up sort of a social play atmosphere of as well. You can play multiple players, and it, it plays as smoothly as it does with two so I would recommend for those of you who are fans of deck builders and especially fans of, of the horror genre, picking up Nightfall is probably not a bad idea. Um, I like it a lot more than Monkey does. And I've played it with some other people that actually had a really good time and enjoyed it quite a bit. So I would recommend it. I have other ones that I'd recommend instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually three of them are card games. One is Gloom, which we will actually discuss later on in the, in the, the podcast in the State of Games. Another is Onirum, which my only written review so far, so far. So far, but more coming. On DiceHateMe.com. And what um, is Onirum really quickly? It's, it's a card game about being a sleepwalker and you're going through these dreams and nightmares come and they kind of attack you. <laughs> and it can, be a, it can be a solo experience or a cooperative two-player game. Yeah, I really like it. You can check out my review. You should. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then the other game I want to mention is by Gozer Games, and that's Vampire Werewolf Fairies. Wow, I can't say that word very well. <laughs> werewolf. Vampire Werewolf Fairies. <laughs> um, and I think we've actually talked about that game before we have. as well. Yes, we have. So I think you'll have to go back a little bit further in the podcast. Yeah, you need to though. go. You need to go back and listen to all of our podcasts. Basically, if you Basically. want to hear all good stuff. Well, really quickly about Vampire Werewolf Fairies. I can say it better than you. Look at that. Vampire Werewolf Fairies is a not going to really, again, immerse you into a, a spooky kind of atmosphere, but it, it pokes fun at the horror genre and a lot of the archetypes of, of that genre. Um, makes fun of, like, Twilight and um, sort of the, the werewolf myths. And it's a very, very fun card game, very different card game than many of those that we've played. Uh, we would highly recommend to go check it out. Go to gozergames.com. I'll have pictures and links to all of these on DiceHateMe.com along with this podcast. And then I also felt that um, spooky doesn't only entail horror. Yeah. So I thought it would be important to include some suspense-filled games, and which are actually two games that I enjoy one more than the other, naturally. Um, so I will save that second one to last but first is mr jack which is very very popular um you know there's it's the story of jack the ripper you know takes place in london but you he also travels to new york if you'd like yes that expansion (laughs) which you're not as crazy about but yeah i don't know why i don't know if it's one of those it doesn't feel so different i guess from the original game that i i think it's kind of like you know how i compare it's whether you've seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels or Snatch first. Right. And I think personally that whichever one you saw first, you're probably going to like more. Yep. That's my, that's my theory because it, it's so different. But then once you see it again, it's not as unique. So it doesn't quite have that same value as the first time you experienced it. And I think that's what happened with Mr. Jack. If I'd played Mr. Jack New York first, I think I'd like that better. Just mm-hmm. because I, I just don't think that they're that different. They do introduce new characters, which is nice and, you know, mixes things up a bit. But, um, but yeah, I like Mr. Jack. I don't love Mr. Jack. A lot of people love Mr. Jack, but... You don't love Mr. Jack? I don't love Mr. Jack. Oh. Remember, it was on that, when we did the podcast about the library of games, All it right. was one that I would actually, was tempted to remove in order to make space for other ones. I see. 
But I do enjoy it a lot. It's just... I think for the money and the replay value you get out of it, it's worth owning. It's a really beautiful game. Yeah. Uh, it's And the mechanics are elegant. Easy mm-hmm. to pick up. Easy to play. Deduction game. Mm-hmm. Two-player. So, I guess we... But... I guess we, we played it a lot for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, maybe that's all it was. Maybe I got oversaturated. Yeah, we Maybe we need to play it, it again. We played, we played it a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot. It was kind mm-hmm. of our... Play in bed before we go to sleep game for a solid month, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's been a while. We should play that again, too. Yeah, I would, we got a lot of games to play. Yeah, we do. We should just, we should quit school and work. That would be awesome. And just play and games. just play games. Yeah, anyone want to pay us? Yeah, I, we're going to start a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> it's the, the Dice Hate Me and Monkey 238 Play Games Forever campaign. <laughs> so, um, if, if you want to start donating now, we'll give you the... Uh, <laughs> PayPal address. <laughs> we don't have PayPal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, that was a whole big deal. Anyways, um, and the other game I want to mention, which I really, 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 really like, is Mystery Express. Yes. And I Have we mentioned that, too? We've talked a bit about Mystery Express, yeah. Yeah, it's Clue on Crack. Mystery Express is a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it is suspenseful, actually, more, more than you would think. And we, we won't mention Clue on the list, but... I mean, Mystery Express has to do with murder and and uh, very taut. You have to ver- pay attention to the details really closely. Uh, it's very tense to the very end when you have to put down who you think is the murderer and what they did with did. What time? Yeah, the, well, the time I don't that like, drives you crazy. Drives me insane. The rest of it, I'm like, I can do no problem. But Monkey here's got like, I don't know. She's got some kind of strange computer brain, and she just <laughs> memorizes the time cards really easily. So and we say the time card. It's not like five cards. It's no, like it's like twenty four. No, there's fewer than that. But still, no, it, I think it feels like fifty when it, when you're going through them. But is it only twenty four? I don't know. It's a lot. It feels like a lot. It's a lot. But anyways, you if you like attention to detail, if you are good at attention to detail, I think you'll really enjoy this game. There's a great satisfaction in in having figured it out correctly because it is really difficult. The the whole game is actually quite a challenge and this is I would say that this is this is a game you'd want to play. I don't think you'd need to claim an event night for it, but if you played Mystery Express, you're only going to probably play one other game yeah, that yeah. night because it does take a good couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few, you know, the first time when learning the rules and such, but we've played it with three people. Quite often. Yep. Oh, is it for three people? No, up only? to five. Oh, wow. Yeah. Three to five. We've only played it with three. Yeah. So I really enjoy that, and I highly suggest it. It was taunting me for the longest time on our shelf because <laughs> yeah, we, we can't play yeah. it as two. And we finally got to play it. Yeah. Love so, it. So before we move on, I um, just want to mention that there are uh, some games here that we've had recommended to us that we want to pick up. We will pick them up and let you know how they are if you've played them. How about going to DiceHateMe.com and leaving us a comment so that other people can see what you think of the games. But in the same vein of Mr. Jack and Mr. Express, games like that, deduction games, I would like to say that Letters from Whitechapel, which is centered around the Jack the Ripper story, is supposed to be outstanding. Our, yeah, we've heard great things about that game. Yes. Our friend Chris Norwood has been, it's been the game of the month at Hypermind. In uh, in Burlington for the past month, they've played it constantly. Chris actually rates the game a ten. It is one of the, oh, are you kidding? Yeah, he rates it a ten. Wow! So we need to get this game. It's it's really absolutely riveting, and intense, and again, it's a it's a, a a deduction game like Mr. Jack, but Mr. Jack on steroids, obviously. So letters from Whitechapel. In the same vein of that is Fury of Dracula, which Chris also has loved. I, I've been trying to play that for years now. And again, it's another deduction game where Dracula's kind of running about Europe and different places and popping up in spots, and you're trying to track him down as as the hunters and um, put put him to death. So that's a, a spooky game, but also a deduction game. And along with that, there's also the, a touch of evil by Flying Frog, which is the makers of Last Night on Earth. Again, a sort of a uh, deduction game, but a very spooky and thematic game. You might want to check that out. Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, I'm not going to go go into that one very deeply, but I've been trying to play that for absolutely years. I need to get the new edition of Betrayal at House on the Hill. And last on the list is Ghost Stories. 
again, a spooky thematic co-op. So I, it has everything that we love written all over it. So we need to pick it up and absolutely try it out. Again, if any of you have played those games and want to give us a shout-out as to what you think of those games, go to DiceHateMe.com and leave us a comment. Yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback before we spend all our hard-earned, or actually all of your hard-earned money that you're going to donate to us Yeah, in order to play games. That's a good point. Yeah. And now, it's time for... State of games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've gone over our spooky list, or at least the games to play after dark. And now we'll move into the games we've been playing mostly after dark in the past couple weeks since the last podcast. Lots of goodies. Yeah, we played a lot of good games. Yeah, time. I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with Belfort. Belfort is awesome. We mentioned and talked a lot about Belfort in the last podcast, but since then we have had a chance to play Belfort with four players. Awesome. It's a great, great game. We highly recommend Belfort. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a full review of Belfort on Dice Hate Me probably this week or early next week. Uh, look for that. And But the four-player experience is just as good as the two. Absolutely. And it did not feel slow no, at all. Not at all. Um, it is a Euro game, so they do have a tendency to run a little lengthy. So I think this is going to be my word of the day. But when playing Belfort, you're just invested the whole time, whether it's your turn or another player's turn. I mean, you need to watch really carefully what your other, what your opponents are doing. And because there's a lot of kind of simultaneous action, you're just always completely into it. And it's interesting, too, because turn order changes a lot. And yeah. sometimes you want to be, you know, at the head of the pack. And sometimes you want to just play reactionary and wait and see what everybody else does in order to kind of make your final move. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of jockeying for turn order, and I like that in a game. That's one of my favorite mechanics in almost any game that I play is variable turn orders. And uh, this puts such a huge emphasis on that. But again, there's advantages to going first, last, or even in the middle of the pack sometimes. sometimes. And the thing is, since it's a worker placement game, you have to be very judicious in where you place your workers, which are elves and dwarves. And... Because of that, you don't always want to have to jockey for that turn order, but sometimes you absolutely have to do it. And mm-hmm. that could cost you whether you get points off of building a building and so on and so forth. Like we've mentioned before, there are a lot of familiar mechanics in Belfort. Um, I don't necessarily think that there are any completely and wholly unique mechanics. Which uh, is actually good because then you can, you know how to play yeah. from the beginning. There's, as, assuming that you've played some euros before you don't feel lost there's not you're not learning a new mechanic you're just kind of they've just been somehow organized and intertwined in a way that feels like a new experience but without the learning curve right absolutely and people can come in and pick it up very easily matter of fact when we played last night uh, we have one veteran euro player that loves them and, and just devours them and figures them out in a second and then his fiance jackie who doesn't really do the whole Euro thing, but she actually really did. She did really she well. Did really it. well. And held her on in the game. And um, she's the kind of person who has to play a Euro a few times before she's actually able to really confidently say she likes it or feels comfortable with it. But she was able to pick it up and do really well in Belfort. And the final score was tight. Sean beat me by one point. And it came down to one small decision I made in the final scoring round. That made the difference. If I had done it the other way, I probably, I would have won by one point. Uh, but that's the kind of game that I like is a really tight scoring system. I don't like, like when we play Stone Age, I love Stone Age, but when we play Stone Age, you can end up with like 100 more points than me. I mean, that's not Because I rock. Oh, because you're a robot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of the Tastry Minstrel Library, another game which we played, which you're going to do a review on this Absolutely. as well. Mm-hmm. Um and I make a grand claim right here, right now. Um, Eminent Domain is the only deck builder that I want to play again. <laughs> That's huge. It is huge. It's really huge. And it's I feel the exact same way. And I know that I said that I liked and recommended Nightfall, but when I mentioned that, I said there was another game that would best it. Eminent Domain is that game. It is a deck building game. It has a, a lot of interesting and yet familiar mechanics in it, only because there are a few things that 
occur in other games we've played, like San Juan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that you have a role. Right. You can select roles, and then some people have compared it with a couple of the mechanics in Glory to Rome, which I have not played. However, I've backed on Kickstarter. We'll be getting that before too long. But regardless of all that, it's just a really beautiful and fun game. Very easy to pick up. Uh, it has a lot of variable strategy and tactics to use because of the tech tree in it. Again, uh, we're going to hold back on the full description of the game because I will be reviewing that for Dice Hate Me, but we will state right now that it's a deck builder that we like, and that's huge. Yeah, and there is that somewhat familiar comment that's made about deck builders that a lot of times it, it feels like multiplayer solitaire, which Eminent Domain is not exempt from that because there are moments where you do feel like you're playing solitaire, but I don't know if it's just a better solitaire (laughs) (laughs) or it's the theme that immerses you or, I mean, you are in competition with your opponent because there are limited resources. There are limited tech cards. So, I mean, you have to watch what your opponent's doing. I mean, I've not yet won the game and that's another thing. I haven't won, but I still really enjoy the game when, even losing the play, I don't feel like I've lost time or anything. It's, and I don't feel defeated at the end. I, I feel like I've had a full experience. And I think one of the things that helps versus other deck builders is that whole follow and, and descent mechanic. Because when someone else is taking their role and taking their turn, you can actually interact and do something on your turn at the same time. And so you watch and you can determine whether you want to play cards out of your hand or you want to wait until it's actually your turn to do so. Yeah, there's that extra element of strategy that I feel is lacking in the other experiences that I have had with deck builders where, I mean, it it has that, that kind of chess feel where you need to think a couple of steps ahead and more importantly, see what your opponents are about to do so that you can best play off of their, their risks as well. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. So again... There'll be a review on DiceHateMe.com within the next couple of weeks, but take away from it what you will. We like Eminent Domain a lot. We do. Yeah. So speaking of cards. And speaking of space. We've got Jumpgate. Finally. Finally Yay. got to play Jumpgate from Matt Warden Games. Matt sent us a copy of the deluxe version of Jumpgate, and we got a chance to play it on our little anniversary retreat last weekend. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's actually very quick to pick up. It's a well, of course, set collection. So monkeys really big on that. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's you're trying to maximize the amount of points they're getting between whatever of the sets of things you're trying to pick up. Uh, like for instance, when you're trying to pick up Intergel, which is on certain planets, uh, you're trying to get light and dark combinations, and those give you seven points if you get a light and dark Intergel combination at the end of the game. If you collect gems, they actually go up in points exponentially. So you have to watch what your opponents are doing and try to halt their collection of these certain things on the planet's surface so that you can stop their flow of points. You can also get extra points by using the jump gate, which is by discarding cards in your hand to uh, go to a planet that matches the number that's on that card. You get to put a little token on the jump gate, and if you're the one with the most tokens on the jump gate at the end of the game, you get bonus points for that. You get points for scanning a planet, um, which is basically looking at the cards that are down there that are face down. You get points for claiming a planet, which is discarding um, cards that have two matching numbers that match the, the the planet, so you're able to actually claim land and claim the planet, so put a marker on there, which gives you more points. There's a lot of different ways to get points throughout the game, and a lot of movement of your rocket ship all the way around you know these eight different planets surrounding a black hole and a and uh, a jump gate. And speaking of black hole, that's actually how you lose points. Yes. yeah. If you pick up certain cards in the game that have a little icon on them, a black hole icon, and you have to put a chip on the black hole... And uh, whoever has the most of those at the end of the game has negative points to their score. So you want to be careful on balancing the number one number of those versus the number of total points you're getting from those cards. And it's a really interesting and neat little system. I really am excited to try it with more than just two players. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was fun with two and very quick playing. Um, another game we played on our anniversary weekend, which is also the first time we played Eminent Domain, um, it was a good weekend. Yeah. On multiple levels, but 
in the game realm as well, <laughs> um, is Kamakura, which we backed on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And By Dyad Games. Yeah, that was that was really interesting. I was shocked at kind of how good it was, honestly. Yeah, um, I do actually wish, and I don't really, I actually don't have any background information on this game. The art is actually really beautiful, but they use this kind of... Um, very subdued hues. Very, yeah, yeah, and very desaturated, and I feel like a little bit more vibrancy. I mean, I understand why they did it mm-hmm. for the look, because you see it and you're like, wow, that's really pretty, when you see it on the screen. Right. Like on your on your computer, if you see images of it, but in person, the actual practicality of playing with it, I would have appreciated um, some of the aspects to be a little bit more vibrant. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. With just that. for ease of ease of play. Yeah, and the, and the card mix was interesting. You're basically you're trying to take over provinces of the other person's clan, and you send ninjas and samurai and geisha, geisha. and you, you you can equip them with a weapon, and depending on how you equip them with the weapon, the other person has to defend themselves with a weapon of equal or greater value, and so on and so forth. Or counterattack. Or counterattack. Yeah, there's a lot of little special things that you can do to send someone back to attack the person they came from, and there's it's a lot of... Honestly, it's like rock, paper, scissors times like 10, and all these different variables adds up to... A, a pretty rich experience, especially in a small deck that comprises the cards. Yeah, the gameplay was was quite fun. My, I do have a another, I guess, pet peeve about the game. And again, this is not actually about the mechanics of the game or anything, but the rules. I feel like they could have been a a little bit clearer. I felt that to be a tedious set of rules to go through, and it's it's only you know one page front, front and back, back, right? But it was one of those sets of rules where I had to read paragraphs kind of over and over again to really understand. And I don't, I mean, it could have been me. It could just be me. So, I mean, this is definitely not deterring you from getting the game because the game playing itself mm-hmm. is really fun. Um, I think it could have stood like a small sample play, you know, or like with each particular special ability that, that you can do with a weapon plus, uh, you know, like a ninja has a special ability, things like that. Could use an example of, of playing a little bit more, or it needs just a little more room on the rules to go more a little more into depth into things. So I'm and I'm hoping that they do a second edition. I hope that they can revise the rules a little bit and, and maybe tweak those a bit. But the gameplay itself is solid. It's balanced amazingly. Uh, yeah, because there were points in the game where we thought, "Ooh, this is really imbalanced," but and yet it wasn't. There were mechanics that greatly evened that out. Yeah. So. Yeah, impressive. So we, yeah, very impressive. We recommend it. Again, that's Dyad Games, D-Y-A-D Games. Uh, and I will put a link to their website and to more information about Kamakura on DiceAtMe.com. So, uh, again, moving on and going a little bit back to our games to play after dark is a card game that I picked up this week. Gloom. Gloom. Which is not like gloom, but gloom. <laughs> gloom. A lot of you out there have already played gloom i'm sure apparently yeah i've seen it for years and years and years have probably meant to pick it up because everybody talks about how good it is and how fun it is and they are right it is a great game yeah firstly the production value is pretty awesome it's the it's a deck of double a double deck of cards essentially Mm -hmm. but they're those clear plasticky kind of cards that you can see through but then you all know what i'm talking about um I don't need to describe this. <laughs> but the art on it is fantastic. Kind of has that Tim Burton-y feel to yeah, it. Yeah, very dark. Adam's family. Yeah, yeah, it's dark, but there's that really twisted humor mm-hmm. um, behind yeah. it. And the flavor text on it is amazing. It's, you actually want to sit there and read it all because mm-hmm. it's really funny. And who you assign these certain cards to is what helps develop the story along. Right. Um, and the main the premise of the story is that there's four clans of families and you are responsible you take on the role of being one of the clans and each clan has five family members or five participants in in that clan yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um and you want to kill them they love misery they love gloom they have a miserable life you want to make their life as as miserable miserable. as possible Mm -hmm. and misery is basically negative points um and you want to basically force your opponents into happiness, weddings, <laughs> yeah. um, 
Being delighted by ducklings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And those are translated as positive points. Right. And it's it's a neat card game. There's more to the game. There's events. You know, there's all of the cards can either be played on yourself or on your opponents, which is actually a really interesting Mm -hmm. mechanic. And you can... You can then you can kill. I mean, you can play some cards that actually kill anyone who has a negative self worth, which are the negative numbers that Monkey was mentioning. You can kill with a card in your hand, whether it's yours or somebody else's a family member. And when they do, they're out of the game, and, and that that's the only way to really score. Once they're they've been put out of their misery, so to speak, the, whatever negative points they had on their self worth become your points to win the game. And the just the theme and the story and everything that happens is, is hilarious. Yeah, we we wouldn't do it justice by trying to remember what all the cards say, but there's one mauled by manatees. Yeah, I mean they're just absurd. Yeah. Um and then I mean some of your family members are like, you know, a teddy bear. Yeah, a brain in a jar. Yeah, so it's it's just crazy. Yeah, we highly recommend picking up Gloom. Yeah, I loved it. We've played it both four player and two player and uh, I actually think Probably the four-player experience was better, but two-player was just two-player was, was fun. fun. Yeah, absolutely. Four-player was just more involved and more story little, to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and perhaps it was also because it was the first time we played. We played with four players, and we were just all extremely amused by the story stories we were creating. Yeah. It's it's not terribly cheap. Um, I think twenty-five dollars is the base price, and it only comes with cards. But, again, the production value of those cards are outstanding. The art and the storyline and everything that they put into the feeling of the game is well worth the money that you pay for Mm -hmm. it. I'd recommend that to be in anybody's library. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Hope you've had a nice spooky time. (laughs) you're scary i hope you had a frighteningly good time you're scary you're scary you're scary (laughs) we'll we'll be back with another podcast in a couple of weeks and until then if you want to know more about us or our upcoming projects which by the way we will be getting back onto our newsletter schedule um i've been inflicted with an injury that has consumed some time Yes, and, and she's almost through with her schoolwork, so we'll be back to giving you more updates on Dice Hate Me Games and our upcoming projects. Yep. So, in the meantime, if you just like to chat about board games, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm Dice Hate Me. And I'm Monkey238, and I'm actually currently in the market for some spooky, sick, and twisted friends. Yes, because you are spooky, sick, and twisted. Yeah, I know. and don't forget to check out DiceHateMe.com the next couple of weeks for more in-depth looks at many of the games on our list for this podcast until next time this is Dice Hate Me and Monkey238 saying thanks for listening and and happy happy Halloween. Halloween